Hey guys, this is Pete from Red Flag Poetry, uh, sitting down with uh, March poet Ben Stein to talk about his poem Lions and a bunch of other things. Uh, yeah, so uh, we have actually been talking for like 15 minutes, and uh, I didn't record it, so the first couple of questions might be a little truncated. Um, I apologize for a more in-depth question. Send me an email, and uh, we'll go from there. So, Ben, uh, let's try to talk about this again. What's the most significant piece of mail that you had ever received? You had mentioned Wait, briefly a little bit about your the letters that you received, so... Uh, yeah, I was just thinking, as I was talking about it just a minute ago, I was thinking about where I had them, and I thought, oh, it would be good if I had them, and then I realized I had them in the closet right next to where I'm sitting, so um, but maybe I can speak more clearly about it, about it if I look at some. So, so the most uh, significant piece, or pieces in this case of mail, um, that I've ever received were a series of letters over the course of three years while I was in graduate school um, between... Uh, two very dear friends um, who became very dear friends over the course of this kind of letter writing campaign. So we, we became close while we lived in the same neighborhood for a year. Uh, and then we all kind of went our separate ways, um, me to, to Morgantown, West Virginia, them to Lawrence, Kansas. And we decided to keep in touch. And it was in the days before any of us had phones for texting or regularly checking email. Uh, we didn't have, none of us had internet connections in our home. So we were um, uh, you know, we would send emails now and then, but we didn't have regular contact. Now we do. Now we text each other every day. Um, but at the time, we were writing letters. And so I have this shoebox full of letters that I'm, I'm looking at. And, like, there are weird, like, crayon drawings. And some of them are typewritten. Some of them are written on, um, like, weird pieces of paper that people found. So there's, to a certain degree, they're, they're kind of these works of, these works of art and they're, they're very intimate and sweet and creative. And I know that for me and probably for those guys too, um, pieces of our creative writing kind of came out in those letters before they made their way into any specific works of fiction or poetry or, or nonfiction. Um, so this, this sort of long series of letters was kind of the site of the development of, of some creative material, but also the, the sort of where our uh, really like lifelong friendship kind of grew and, and kind of the, the the nature of it was defined. And so I'm just looking at these, at this box of letters and it's, it's, a, it's a really nice thing to see. I moved recently and I was thinking like, this is nice, but like, why am I saving this? Am I really going to go back and read these things? Like what, what would I, why would I read? And then I started reading them and I was like, oh, right, that's why I would, that's why I would read them. And so they're here and uh, man, they, they, Take me back, and it, it, that was also kind of the beginning of a, maybe not the beginning, but a, a, a really powerful relationship with, with the U.S. Postal Service, because I, I, really, I still look forward to getting mail, even when it's junk mail for other people who used to live in our house. You know? <laughs> I mean, at the same time, the uh, <clears throat> the you, you mentioned that they weren't just always letters, and you didn't mention that before, and I think that there's something very powerful to that, because... Um, to the same aesthetic, it becomes so much more meaningful when it's not just text on a page. Um, when there's there's doodles, when you, you know, uh, I, I can't really relate to your particular experience, but if I look through college notebooks, right, where I'm taking notes in class from undergrad, and I'm like, the doodles almost mean more to me than the notes, because the notes, I'm like, I don't care about these. But what am I thinking about during this part of the class? Oh, here's a picture of a lawnmower. <laughs> what's going on? You know, like there's there's that. And, and while that's certainly not the same as what you have, are describing, it seems to, to kind of 
I don't know, make make those letters more powerful. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, that's a neat idea about how, about sort of what poetry is, too, right? Is that po- very often, as we were talking about this a little bit earlier, too, that, like, when you're watching the dog scratching himself or whatever, the poem is what kind of is happening on the margins and then how the two interact, right? Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's what this poem, that's what a lot of the poems that, that I've written, I think that a lot of people write are, is that it's the picture of the lawnmower next to the notes on Nietzsche or whatever. Right, and how, and how they kind of relate, yeah. Um, yeah. So with that in mind, tell us about the genesis of your poem, Lions. Uh, you mentioned in the first draft of our conversation um, <laughs> that it kind of came out of this letter-writing experience, and I think that there's something to that that's very powerful. Yeah, yeah that's right. So th- these, these friends of mine and I, um, you, you know, years and years ago, wrote all these letters to each other, and then... You know, technology developed further and we got more easy and ready access to one another through texting and email um, and FaceTime. This is how I, I learned about FaceTime was by chatting with them every now and then. And, um, and but eventually we I think we all realized that like it was nice writing letters to each other. Um, and we tried that again. And for, for whatever reason, that failed. But what we said was we're going to have a regular communication with a kind of a creative output. Um, and so the agreement was every Sunday we would write each, all three of us would write a poem and send it to everyone. And the rule was just that, um, you know, you write the poem on Sunday. It's not meant for broad consumption. It's not meant to be a, a, uh, a piece of brilliance or anything that, that is going to be submitted to, to journals. Although if you liked it, you could. Um, and it was just a, a way of forcing ourselves to write, which I need more than any, uh, the, the other, two friends, Samantha and, and Dan, are, um, you know, more committed to writing and do more regular writing more regularly. But for me, I, I, I don't write anymore, hardly at all. And so this was like a, a nice way to both keep in touch with people who are important to me and to, to give that a, a kind of creative kind of marginalia uh, um, uh, feel. So it was, it was a wonderful exercise in creativity and, and a great way to communicate with friends on that, you know, on a... Uh, on a different level from what we were used to. Right, and like, like I'd mentioned, uh, this idea of the, the writing regularly, you know, with, with the blog and, and Poetry Month, there's something very powerful to that. And I think, do you guys still actively do this? No, we haven't done it in probably around a year. Actually, I was just, oh yeah, because this is the poem about March, and so that was last March that I was talking about. So uh, I was looking back at, at my the file that I had, and I think it was, you know, maybe another, I can't say for sure, May... So maybe another six weeks of writing a poem every Friday, uh, every Sunday, rather. And then uh, we, stopped, we stopped doing it, kind of petered out. Got, yeah, it got busy, something happens, yeah. Um, that's, like I had mentioned, this uh, writing for, writing a poem a day for Poetry Month, it just got tiring after a while. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, as exciting as it was to see what I produced, observing <clears throat> the everyday things, <clears throat> it almost just got tedious to where I'm like at the same time there's you know Monday's poem will be great but Tuesday's poem is going to be terrible and I'm like just I'm just not in the mood or it's 11:30 I've got to write a poem in 30 minutes otherwise I lose you know it's this weird dynamic and I guess I could kind of see um that that for you how that would be difficult but actually I'm really intrigued by that one uh, <clears throat> as part of this project I'm really interested in my own writing because I don't write that much you know, I'm writing a poetry project, and I don't write as much as I want to. 
and I'm trying to think of how I'm going to uh, get myself to write. And that might be an interesting thing to try to set up, or at least maybe not once a, once a, once a week, but once a month or twice a month or something like that. That'd be interesting. I think that's really great. Yeah, yeah. The, the once a week model was nice because it was it wasn't too regular, but it, and it, you know it was Sundays, which are for me typically kind of days where I'm going to be laying around. So I, I may as well be laying around doing something creative. Um, and yeah, yeah. It was not like like when uh, last year I was volunteering with a youth writing, you know, creative writing organization, and all of the I was working with a bunch of um, seventh and eighth graders. And they all did National Novel Writing Month, yeah, which was November. And, like, that organization is a, a really well, um, I think, well-established and well-run organization. So they have all kinds of prompts and ways to get yourself to write a novel in a month. And I was like, this is kind of crazy. And I do think that because I was accessing it through 7th and 8th graders, it seemed like it was geared toward younger people. Maybe I do know they have an adult version. Um, and so perhaps I would have gotten a different impression had I had I used that part of their website but um I decided I tried to do it with them and it would just and really the only rule is you write you set a pace and you write to keep up with that pace every day and it was certainly the most text I've ever produced in that much of time. did you did you complete it did you get your 50,000 words yes yeah 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 that, uh, I've tried three separate occasions and I've never been successful um yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's respect for anyone that can complete that. You know, that's that's a lot of work putting into yeah. that. Yeah, but it, but it was not. I should say it was. Not, I did not success successfully complete a novel. I was I just wrote as fast as I could, as much as I could. Right. I mean, actually, I just came across um, Aaron Morgenstern's The Night Circus, which oh. was a 2009 National Novel Writing Month, which she then. I think maybe maybe it was six, 2006, and then 2011, it was actually published as a novel. So, like, the text that she produced from that, um, over the course of another five or six years, finally became uh, into a national bestseller, I think it is now, with an option for a movie and everything. Um, wow. So, I mean, I don't think... I think if you were to produce something that's publishable in one month... Uh, you are a prodigy, you know, so I don't think that, um, but for me, every time I've sat down, I just, I get about, I don't know, 20,000 words in and I'm like, I hate this. And I, I stop, which is yeah. what you, it defeats the purpose, but I have. Yeah. Mine was certainly, there was no thread of, it was just kind of random, kind of babbling, but it was. It was Stream of consciousness. Yeah. You know, yeah. like James Joyce. That's that, right. Oh was, yeah. Yeah. It was much like Finnegan's Wake. Uh, without the dirty parts maybe, maybe there were dirty parts <laughs> so um, as a writer or perhaps a poet what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given um, about writing or producing or whatever yeah um, so I think I think I know like one thing pops into my head immediately when you when you say that and I'm just trying to figure out if, if that's just like the first thing that came to my head or if it's actually the best but it's the thing that sticks with me anyway is um, at WVU, when I was studying creative writing and doing it um, consistently and, and with sort of purpose and drive, uh, I don't know why, I, I wasn't in a class with her, but I was interacting with the poet Marianne Salmon, and she said to a bunch of us that, uh, and this actually, not to knock what she said, but it's probably fairly obvious to people who spend a lot of time writing and thinking about writing, that she said, you should be 
writing the poems you want to read. You should be writing the book you want to read. Um, and, and actually, the way she said it was she asked us to talk about our favorite writers. And when we were done talking about that, she said, nobody said yourself. You guys didn't say that any, you didn't say your, your, your own favorite writer? Because you guys should be your own favorite writer. You should be writing your own favorite poems. Those are the, who else is going to write those poems if you're not doing it? And that, I, and I don't know, I don't know if that's, I don't, first, I don't know if that's advice or if it's just a, a kind of an aphorism, but it, um, it certainly stuck with me and it did change the way I thought about writing. I, I was for a long time trying to write, you know, for, in order to create a bestseller or to, well, probably not a bestseller, but in order to create something that would please some other people. Um, and that was a, that, that was kind of a light bulb, you know. That. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting. I, I've, I mean, I've heard that before too, and I don't know where, but uh, it's something that I don't often think about myself, even though I should. You know, um, I think that's really neat. Yeah, she that was a, and she was a, an amazing poet who, I mean, I, I can't say for certain, but it seemed like was writing the poems she wanted to read. Like she was writing these poems that were very much like you were living inside her, you know, reptile brain. You know, <laughs> beautiful weird flashes of something that never quite that i could never quite grasp and i i don't think there was a reason to try to you know and i think for me being a trapped in trapped in academia uh i'm constantly criticizing rather than working on what i like so there's that disconnect for me it's uh, what i like is never critically good you know, right. so it's like I'm when I write something, I, now I have to criticize it and say, is this actually good? What's going on here? And there's the problem there for me. So I, I like that, write what you, you want, and that's something that's, uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice. And, and that plays out with, I mean, I was looking, um, I was looking at the, the questions that you were going to ask, and like I said, I'm not, I, I cannot in good conscience call myself a poet or even a writer really at this point in my life. I do almost no writing, and I really don't read much creative writing anymore. But what I do end up reading are books by people I know, like Lisa Pinapinto. I was just flipping through her her two books, and like those are those are the things that are powerful to me. Is is um, poems as kind of like supplements to a relationship. And so she's a person that I know and and really like a lot. I've, I haven't spent a lot of time with her, but the time I've spent with her has just been. You know, she, she seems like a, a person that the world is lucky to have. And so reading these poems as kind of like ways to inform that relationship is, is really powerful for me. So like when I think about the poems that matter to me, I, it, it has more to do with the people who, who, I, who I know who write them. And I don't know that many poets, so I only have a few, you know. Right. So, I mean, in that... In that same vein, since you don't, I mean, since you're not really reading a lot, did you or have you ever bought collections of poetry, or is it just mainly you're reading kind of in a digital environment or snippets where you find? You know what I'm saying? Are you a type of person that's going to pick up a collection of poetry um, and just kind of go through it, you know, uh, and really kind of look at everything? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm more likely to read a book, I think, than than a a single piece because I, I... I don't encounter much poetry, and when I do, I, you know, part of out of a, a sense of like contributing to the artistic community, I want to support that writer. So we just saw a reading by a woman named Morgan Parker, who I think is probably a big shot, and I should, she should, her name should not be unfamiliar to me, but I, I didn't know her, um, 
and I wanted to read her book. So I got Other People's Comfort Keeps Me Up at Night, and she's just badass, and her reading was amazing, and the book is is awesome. So and when I so I guess yeah, I do sit and read a book of poetry, and I think it's because I read so little poetry that uh, I guess maybe it feels like I should be investing deeply in a single strand, and so I should if I'm going to read. A poet, I should read a big chunk of that poet's work. <clears throat> I think that's fair. For me, when it comes to like a collection, um, oh my goodness, I cannot remember his name. Uh, mean Free Path is the title of his book. And uh, now I need to find out who wrote this. Um, but so this book has like uh, longer and shorter poems. So like I can't, I've always found it really hard to. Uh, read long poems. Uh, ben Lerner. I, I wanted to say his name was Ben, but I was like, I may just be putting that. Ben Lerner, Mean Free Path. There are a lot of poems in there that I really like, but at the same time, there were longer poems, and I'm like, I just can't do this. I can't, I can't sit down. And I think I extend that to a whole collection of poetry. If I have a, an entire book, it's, it's like, well, when am I going to get through this? Um, and that's actually what, what's at the heart of the entire project. Like, I could get through this postcard on the way back from the mailbox, and I could feel like I've actually accomplished something today. Yeah. I read a really great poem, rather than I read one poem in a book. You know, yeah. like, there's that aesthetic for me that I can't, um, I can't get past. Yeah. Well, and actually, I like, I mean, that's why I, I love, uh, like I said, I don't, right, I also don't submit work anywhere, and I just, I've heard about this, I think, through a couple of other, through Mike Fournier and Lisa, and Lisa I think, um, about this project, and I was like, well, that's fucking perfect. I love this because, um, although, like, like I said, I, 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 feel, I feel like I'm, feel like a responsibility for sitting down and reading a book, probably because I don't read much poetry, and so, so I push myself to do it, and I read every, and I read them quickly. I don't sit with poems for a long time. Right. That would be why I can kind of maintain that relationship with a book, but also. Um, I like our email, our Sunday poems that I was doing with my friends. Um, I, I think that's my relationship with writing now is that it's something that happens very quickly and in a burst and out of some kind of experience that has just happened and it's a way of processing something that has just happened. And so a little flash of poetry coming out of the mailbox once a month is a, just such a cool way to have a relationship with, with that genre. So I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about reading poems in short bursts. That's, that is, uh, I think I'll probably do more of that. Great. When I start getting it in the mail. Um, our subscription period actually start not subscription submission period still starts again tomorrow. Just so you know. Oh, really? oh perfect. Um, okay. <laughs> um <clears throat> so in, with that in mind, as somebody who hasn't written a lot lately, um, but we'll hopefully start again tomorrow. What okay. do you feel is like your worst writing habit? Like other than not writing, I was actually, uh, I had the, this, this question came from uh, a lunch I once had with uh, a, a former professor from central Michigan university. And we had lunch one day and he was like, uh, you know, I said, I really want to be an author like you. Uh, this was shortly after undergrad. So I was still making those really weird phrases, like sentences, like I want to be an author. You know? Um, and he's like, well, do you write every day? I said, no. He's like, when's the last time you wrote? And I said, I don't know. He's like, well, I guess that's a, a good shtick for you is you're going to be the author that doesn't actually write. And I said, <laughs> yeah. well, it might work. 
Um, so my, my worst writing habit is that I, I never actually did it, but there are, I have a lot of other really bad writing habits, too. Um, do you have a, a writing habit that you're just like, I wish I didn't do this? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly... Um, I think this is kind of a backwards way of answering that question, but when I wrote regularly, I, I was... Well, I don't know if other people would say this, but I would say that I was good at it and that I really enjoyed what I produced. And, um, well, you were and, following your instructor's advice then. Yeah, yes, yeah. Once I hit that, that, that was a real turning point. Yeah, once I hit that stride where I was like, I'm just going to write things that I think are cool. I loved writing and I loved what I produced. Um, and you know, certainly that's <laughs> not a good habit to be in, right? Because you want to be able to look critically at your own work. Um, but I think um, since I... Okay, and there was, the, and I, I was also kind of clinging to that that dictum. I assume it's from Rilke, where uh, you know, if you if you if you can imagine yourself uh, being able to survive uh, while being prevented from writing, then you shouldn't be a writer, right? So, something like that. I think it's probably in Letters to a Young Poet where he says, you know, imagine imagine yourself in a locked room where you can't write anything. If it wouldn't kill you, then you shouldn't be a writer. So there's something totally like sure. and, and uh, totalitarian kind of something. Um, intimidatingly, you know, uh, imagining a, an intimidating scenario like that. Um, and I kind of bought into that. I was like, yeah, well, I, I feel compelled to write these things and I want to write these things and I love them because they're, they're the things that I made. Um, and I think, and actually I think that was, that was a good habit because I, I, when I stopped writing, it was, it was just because I didn't feel like I had, I didn't feel compelled. I didn't feel like I really need to say this. I really need to put this down because it's something that's beautiful and important to me that I need to get out on the page. I didn't feel that. I felt, you know, I, I was getting that nourishment from other places. You know, I started teaching, um, and that was that's that's a, for me a more sort of consistent creative. Uh, there's a more consistent demand on one's creativity for me as a teacher rather than as a writer. Or, um, you're, I don't know. As a teacher, I was constantly i'm constantly like thinking about students and how to respond and what to do right it's a di total different creativity yeah. you know yeah no i get exactly what you're saying you're being creative in a different way and the way that you have to um i, I don't want to say meet students but like where you have to engage them yeah i mean you, each student almost has to find a different level of engagement and and there's there's something very creative in that and yeah no i think you're right if, yeah. if that's what you're saying yeah, no, that is. Yeah, well, that and 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 all of the the myriad um, demands on a teacher, right? Like, well, how am I going to finesse it so my assistant principal uh, is nearby when this kid freaks out? And just in case, you know, like, how am I going to make sure that I can um, that I can speak to this kid when I know that he's going to have a problem with this other kid? And I, I want to make sure that I can talk productively to both of them. You know, a lot of a lot of like interpersonal creativity as well. Oh yeah. And so, like, um, I think that the good habit was really loving what I was writing, and, and and maybe the best the best habit was being willing to not write if I didn't feel compelled to do so. And that's 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 kind of backwards because I, I value the discipline of, of people who make a career out of creative writing or any kind of writing. Uh, I think that's a powerful and important characteristic, but. Uh, Whatever amounts of discipline I have, I, I was deploying elsewhere, <laughs> right. and I, I, I think it was good. It was a good habit to to break of 
feeling like I had to write simply because I wanted to be a writer. So in that sense, where do you, and I know you kind of already talked about this a little bit when we talked about the genesis of Lions, but what do you, what do you find yourself to be most inspired by? Things like, you know, family, nature, are they, are, are, are a lot of your poems like Lions about things that seem in, built in memory or, or where, where do you, where did you, or do you take inspiration from? Yeah, I think maybe, oh, well, I, I actually, I know exactly what it is. It's, um, it's that, that feeling of compulsion to write, um, it's, and it's being attentive to, I mean, there's almost, there is, there is definitely a physical and cognitive and emotional sensation that says, this is something you should be writing about. Right. Um, and, and, and just, um, I, I've gotten better over the years at being really attentive to that through, you know, <laughs> therapy and meditation and, and all kinds of sort of self care. Um, something when, when, I have that experience of, of even if it's just looking out the window and seeing, you know, yesterday I spent the day putting in some garden beds. And so I, I came inside and the sun was setting and I looked outside and realized like, I just busted my ass for six hours and there's a thing in my backyard that wasn't there before. That's awesome. And like, that was a powerful moment, and, but it was powerful, not because of that cognitive process, but because something happened in my chest where I felt proud and tired and happy. Yeah. That was a moment that could have been, but did not become, was not a poem, uh, but, but it could have been. And so, yeah, so I guess that, that, I don't know where that comes from, but it's, it's that, there's a very specific feeling kind of right in your solar plexus. You know, it's like, that's, oh, this is, this is a poem. And then you sit down and then, I think there's, there's probably some like, um, like mental wiring that starts to fire and, and, and create connections to things that have happened in the past where it felt things that felt like that or things that felt like the opposite of that or people who reminded me of that feeling or people I know have also had that feeling. So, um, yeah, so Lyons is an example of uh, the free association. And I think that's probably that's what I'm describing. It starts with some kind of instantaneous physical response and, and it becomes free associated. I like that. That's good. Um, do you can you think of any other poets that do that that you found yourself like I mean do I have a copy of Lisa? I don't think I have a copy of Lisa's here right now I don't I don't have a copy of Lisa's here right now but I don't think hers really does that in the same way uh, the one that Lisa's poem uh, where are we going to what are we going to do now it doesn't really do that in that same way but like are there other poets that you feel do that that you say this is a really good example of what I see myself doing? Oh, let me think. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, certainly I was working with two, those two poets really closely. The, the, my friend, so their, their names are uh, Samantha Bell and Dan McCarthy, and both of them are, are poets who um, their work, it, it was just the three, it was like being in a tiny little room, <laughs> right, with just these poems bouncing around. And so obviously I think a lot of what they were doing was influencing me and, and vice versa and 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 I think a, a guy who was at West Virginia who was a, a, a professor of mine named Jim Harms Mike publishes James James Harms um, uh, 
you know, said some some kind of like he, he's a he was a really groovy guy and was like, he, had, he had a lot of cool ideas and he said something you know typically like kind of cool and said like you know poetry can be like a like a magic carpet it just can take you from one place to another and like I just rather think of like what a poetic thing to say and uh, I'm sure it was it was much more beautiful and, and cool than that but um, but that the feeling that. I can be having simultaneously a, a recollection about kindergarten or preschool and an experience um, looking at the cat on the windowsill and, you know, um, thoughts of my, my father and what it means to be a dad and what it means to be staring down the barrel of another winter or staring back at another winter. Um, like all of those things happening at once, that that to me is what a poem yeah. can and uh, and I don't know, and I think in, in some like Lisa's longer poems, that that kind of thing happens, where there's these these situations and, and scenes are juxtaposed. Um, that on this borrowed bike, I think is the one, right? That's the title poem. Oh no no no, uh, it's the title poem from the other one, Island Dreams. Island Dreams is a long one, I think, and it's and it has a bunch of different pieces. Um, I think that's the one. And she so she does these really cool, and she does other things with single words or, or sounds that kind of float together and combine and interact in in ways that are kind of magical and that I can't put into words. Um, so that's a separate engine that's driving them in one direction as well. Right. Yeah. We pub we in November in the the Poetry Express we published a. Uh, a uh, poem by her, I've learned to worship the infant on a smaller scale. And that's a smaller, and it's very short, and the way it uses its words, it does it almost intentionally. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's she's uh, something else. So, changing gears a little bit, um, mm-hmm. what's the most interesting pop culture trend that you've taken part of recently, whether it's willingly or unwillingly? We all fall victim to these things. Um, oh, well, I think I know exactly. Well, I don't know if this is a pop culture trend. It's just that it was something that I, we did this past weekend. Was go to see the <clears throat> the superhero movie uh, with the uh, Batman and Superman, and that's like in our in our. I grew up reading a lot of comic books, and my wife did not, but has has something in her that that appreciates that level of or that that type of popular culture, and it manifests in other ways as well. Um, and so, I think. She and I, and I, don't, I wouldn't call it a guilty pleasure because I think we're both very happy about it and we don't feel any guilt about it, but we are, are pretty pretty good at seeing just superhero movies. <laughs> like, that's the thing that we do when we go to the movie. We haven't been to see, like, a, like a film in years and years and years. Uh, we'll watch those on Netflix or we'll, you know, maybe we'll go to the, to the local, you know, independent theater now and then, but... We go to the movies and get a big, obnoxious thing of popcorn and watch superheroes burning down cities. And that's like, that's our, that is, I'm surprised that that, that we're so meticulous about doing that every time. So, and there are more and more of them, but that, that's a, a very serious pop culture commitment. Do you have a uh, preference for Marvel over DC or which one? I, I, though I was reading mostly Marvel one, Marvel ones when I was a kid, and so those are the movies that yeah. Those are far superior. Are you excited for Civil War? Yes, yeah, I'm super psyched about it. It's going to be great. Actually, she wasn't. Julie was not as excited about that. We saw the preview for 
um, speaking of, of DC ones, uh, the Suicide Squad. Looks okay. Awesome. So that may that may redeem DC in my eyes, but that that looks really good. Uh, but yeah, the Marvel ones I think are way better. I get into frequent heated debates about Marvel versus DC with uh, with some people. Um, oh. I mean heated, uh, but <laughs> most of the time I'm just engaged to try to make them mad. So. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I, I, I like Marvel better because I feel like their characters, on the whole, are much more human in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Iron Man does the same thing as Batman, except Iron Man is actually, in, he does it himself. You know, where Batman doesn't, in, not in every incarnation. Or uh, Captain America is very similar to, to Superman, except Captain America is is a real human versus an alien. You know, there's these small changes that I think make things so much more realistic to me. I yeah. yeah, I think Superman's a tough one for me because he's like, I mean, he's he's very cool, and but he's just so literally and figuratively so alien that I never quite I can never quite like relate to him. And and Lois Lane is always just a damsel in distress, and that's frustrating. You need somebody like a little bit of gumption, you know. So, as far as uh, preparing for Civil War, are you on Team Cap or are you Team Iron Man? Um, I, I don't know. I'm conflicted. Uh, his his loyalty to, to Bucky is, like, really, really uh, touches my heart. But it's also sometimes, like, dude, stop, stop. Just, can you see what's happening here? It doesn't... It's, it's it's a little bit contrived, but it was contrived. It was contrived in the comics decades ago, so it's so I'm I'm fine with it. In the movie. Uh, are you familiar with the the Civil War comic arc that it happened whenever I did 2006 or eight or whatever it is? Yeah. Oh, was it that recently? Oh, I was thinking it was longer ago than that. Um, I could be wrong. I, I you uh, know. Yeah. Yes. But. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm familiar enough with it. I think. Do you? Because uh, the the Superhero Registration Act doesn't seem to play a lot in this movie. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be, at least in my opinion, and right. I'm worried that it's going to be all about Bucky. And I'm like, you're miss, you'll miss the point if you if you have a civil war over Bucky Barnes. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's not going to work. It has to. Yeah, it has to be there. They, I, I feel like maybe those trailers are selectively because we know. Okay. Well, and and the X Men franchise has addressed kind of mutant registration. Right. True. Oh, that's and, true. Like, maybe they're trying to... They don't want to give... What is it? Sony or whatever that other company is that makes those movies? They don't want to give... I don't know. But you're right. The the, the trailer did not... I think there's happen. only a slight moment where, like, a senator is sliding a big bill across the table. <laughs> and you're like, maybe that's it. I don't know. And then they flash to, like, Bucky jumping out of a building or something. Who knows? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's in there. Hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I think it's going to be very cool. So, um... Do you have any uh, any other projects coming up that would be relevant in terms of letting us know? I mean, I know you're not really actively writing, but maybe you're going to start working on one now. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I will. I would like to do a weekly poem. It's it's um, uh, you know, like I said, it has to do with inspiration. And for a long time, I, I was kind of like feeling like I, I needed to amass more inspiration. And so I've been doing that. I, oh, you know, so I have um, this is. Uh, a kind of funny, fun project, but I, I work in a preschool, um, and I've just been, you know, in the habit of writing down the ridiculous things that children mm-hmm. say. And so I have a, a nice little collection of those, and I'm trying to figure out how to make those into, um, you know, 
inspirational posters or uh, inspirational posters. I like that. Right? The cat uh, hanging <laughs> from the wire, and then something like a preschooler said, "I like it." Yeah. So, I don't, so th- there's something there. I have the raw materials, which is what what I really need, and so we'll see what happens with it. Maybe a little, maybe just a little pocket zine or something. I like it. That's that's the project. It's called. Oh, I do have the title because of this this little girl, who who seems to have um, some kind of psychic abilities, and she came up to me one day and looked me in the eyes and said, "Mr. Ben, I know what future we live in." And I was like, "What future we live in is a hell of a title." So we put in. That's look for look for what future we live in out soon. That's awesome. Whatsoever. <clears throat> well, Ben, thank you so much for sitting down with me and giving me 16 extra minutes of your life for when I didn't record that. Um, I really appreciate it. And the other editors and I, even though they're not here, uh, we're super, super grateful to have a great poem of yours. And we hope that you actively keep writing and things like that. So, Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Take care.